It's wonderful to be back again with you today and to be able to bring the Word of God to you. I'm really looking forward to being able to share the message that I believe the Lord has placed on my heart for you. And uh, I just trust that the Lord is going to use this message uh, to be impactful and to minister grace to every one of us. And so I'd like to just start with uh, a prayer. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity to be able to come to your word. Your word which is so rich, so true, and so able, Father, to change our lives, to impact our lives, to give us hope, to give us encouragement, to challenge us, to mold us and shape us. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would use this message and this passage that we're going to look at today to do this very thing in our lives. We thank you, Father, that you always hear our prayers, and we thank you, Father, that you answer them when they're according to your will, and we know that this is your will today. So thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer and for answering it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at a portion of Scripture today, uh, which is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. It was written by the Apostle Paul uh, when he was in prison in uh, Rome. And uh, we're going to read from verses 5 to 11. So that's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. And this is what we, we read there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We could say this, let this kind of attitude, the kind of attitude that we find in Christ or we see in Christ, also be seen and found in us. Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's so much that we can learn from this passage about the character of Christ, about the character of God, about the kind of attitude in people that pleases God and brings His blessing and His reward to them, but also about the mystery of the person of Jesus Christ. And it's this last uh, point that I really want to focus in on today. The mystery of this man that we know as Jesus Christ. First of all, we can see that unlike all of us, Jesus Christ existed before He was born and came into this world. Not in human form, but in the form of God. That's what Paul says here. Which means that before he was born, he was one with God in the very character and nature of his existence. 
We also see from this passage that Paul says he had equality with God. We can gain more insight into what the Apostle Paul was, was meaning, what he was saying here in this passage, through what the Apostle John wrote in the first chapter of his gospel. And I'd like to just read to you from there, John chapter 1 verses 1 to 4, where we read the following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. We see from the words of John here that this one whom he calls the Word, and from which we can see, as we look at John chapter 1, he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, was with God in the beginning. When God created the heavens and the earth, way back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, this one whom he calls the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, was with God. We also see that not only was he with God, but John says he was God. And that all things were made through him. That there is nothing that has been made, nothing in all of creation, whether it's seen or whether it's unseen, that was not made through Jesus Christ or that was made apart from him. In other words, we could say that when we look at creation, we are looking at the very handiwork of this one, this man, this one we know as Jesus Christ. So this is the state of our Lord Jesus Christ before he came into the world, before he was born of the Virgin Mary. He was with God, he was one with God, he was equal with God, and as John says, he was himself God. And he was fully involved in all the works of God that we read about in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. All those incredible works, he was fully involved in every single one of them. However, we also see here in this passage that we've read in Philippians that there was something in the character and nature of Jesus Christ that made him not consider this glorious state of existence that he had with God and this equality that he shared with God to be something that he needed to cling to and hold on to. And so we see that instead of him doing that, he emptied himself of it. And he divested himself of the glory that he had with God in the very beginning. He laid aside the form of God, that glorious state of existence that he enjoyed, and he took on the form of a bondservant instead. That means that he literally made himself nothing. God didn't do it for him. Paul says he did it himself. He chose to do it. He willingly did it. He wasn't forced to do it. How did he do this? Paul tells us in this passage, by being made in the likeness of man. By being made like us physically in every way. By sharing in our flesh and blood. By taking on the human body that God prepared for him in the womb of Mary. And by coming into this world in the likeness of sinful man. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 3. That Jesus came into this world 
in the likeness of sinful man. That doesn't mean that he came into this world as a sinful man. He just came into this world in the likeness of sinful men. As John wrote in, in, the, in the first chapter of his gospel and verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. The fact that John says he became flesh means that beforehand he was not flesh. He became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us. This is an incredible truth when we really think about it. God didn't force him to do this. He chose to do it. He left his highest state that he had with God. He left the glory. He left the majesty. He left the honor that he had with God in the beginning. And he became like us. Not in character, but in terms of the state of his existence. So this is very important for us to understand. This is one of the fundamentals of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was in this state, in the state or the form of a man, that Jesus was revealed to us. That this one whom, we, whom John calls the Word was revealed to us. He was introduced to us, not in the form of God, but in the form of man. In the form of a bondservant, as Paul says. This is how we see him revealed in the Gospels. When we read the Gospels, that's how we see Jesus. We don't see him in the form of God. We see him in the form of this bondservant. As Paul said in the passage that we read in verse 8, he was found in appearance as a man. This one who existed in the form of God in the very beginning and was with God in the beginning, who had a quality with God, who was in fact himself God, this one through whom all things were made was found by us, discovered by us, revealed to us, introduced to us in appearance as a man. The Apostle John understood this truth fully. And I just want to read what he wrote in his first letter, 1 John chapter 1. And I want to just read verses 1 and 2 to you. Because John wrote here some incredible words that really expound this truth to us. This is what he said. He said, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Notice what John says in these two verses. He talks about Jesus as being from the beginning. Once again, he talks about Jesus as having been with the Father. And he calls Jesus the life, the eternal life. That's what he, he calls him. He gives him this title, the life, the eternal life. And then he says, he appeared to us and we touched him. And we heard him and we saw him and looked upon him. He appeared to us in the form of a man, in the form of a bondservant, even though he was existing equal with God in the beginning. Can you imagine a great and mighty king taking off his royal crown, taking off his royal robes, 
leaving his majestic palace, his entourage, all the benefits that he enjoyed as king, and putting on the robes or the clothes of a prisoner, of a criminal, and going to, into a prison full of people that had rebelled against him, putting on the same clothes that they wore, and living in that prison with them. Do you know that that's what Jesus did? Do you know that that's what he did when he left his highest state and became a man and lived amongst us? Having laid aside his glory and surrendered his equality with God, he appeared to us in a completely different form to the form that he had before in the form of a bondservant. And this is why the world did not recognize who he was. This is why most of the people of his generation couldn't accept his claims to being pre-existent and his claims to divinity. As Isaiah said, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And this is why the people of his generation thought that his claims were blasphemy. This is why on so many occasions they tried to stone him. And eventually they crucified him. Not because he was powerless to resist them. Not because he could not escape their clutches or their hands. But because he chose to let them do so. This is so important for us to understand. As Paul says here, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. God didn't humble him. He humbled himself. The people that crucified him didn't humble him. He humbled himself. He willingly laid down his life. It was not taken from him. He chose to go to the cross. He put his hands out and he let sinful men that he had been involved in creating take him to death. This is why when Peter took that sword and was going to cut off the Lord, uh, sorry, cut off the servant's ear. Jesus said, put your sword away. Why did Jesus not allow his followers to defend him? You see, he chose to go to the cross. He didn't resist. He said, I could call on my father and he would at once put legions of angels at my disposal. He had the power to resist those men. He had the power to escape their power, but he chose not to. He humbled himself and he became obedient to God right up to death, even death on a cross. He was absolutely committed to doing what God wanted him to do. He was committed to the fullest possible extent, right to the point of death, even to death on a cross, the worst kind of death, the kind of death that Scripture said was reserved for those whom God had cursed, the kind of death that the Gentiles believed was for the trash of humanity, for the worst of criminals, the kind of death that was the most excruciating and shameful death anyone could die. But Jesus was committed to doing the will of God even to that point. There was nothing that he held back. There was no boundaries that he set 
in his obedience to God. Why was he like this and why did he do this? So his life could be a ransom for us. So that God's plan of redemption might be fulfilled. And so we might be saved because there was no other way for that to happen apart from him going to the cross. What incredible insight this gives us into the character of Jesus, into his selfless and sacrificial love for the one we know as God the Father and also for us, the wicked people that he loved. He did everything he did, all that we've read about, purely out of love. He wasn't forced to do it. He did it because of love. Do you know that this is not where the story of Christ ends? It didn't end at the grave. On the night of his betrayal, the very night before he was crucified, the Lord Jesus prayed. He prayed a prayer. And we read in John chapter 17 and verse 5 that he said these words as he prayed. He said, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Do you know that God answered that prayer? Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 tells us that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for just a little while. He was made a little lower than the angels for just a little while. It wasn't forever that he was going to be made lower than the angels. It was just for a little period of time. In fact, it was for about 33 years while he was on this earth. Why was he made lower than the angels? So that by the grace of God, it tells us in Hebrews 2.9, he might taste death for everyone. Why did Jesus leave his higher state? Why did he set aside his glory? Why did he set aside that equality that he had with God? Why was he found in the form of a bondservant? Why did he come in the likeness of men? It was so that he might die for us so that he might save us. That's why he did it. But do you know that it tells us in Hebrews 2.9 that now that he has done this, now that he has tasted death for everyone, he has again been crowned with glory and honor. He has been restored back to the state that he had with God before the world began. God has answered that prayer that he prayed. As Paul says here, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, God has highly exalted him. He's exalted him to the highest place. He has brought him to the very right hand of his throne, seated him at the right hand of his throne. Far above angels, far above all powers, far above all authority, above every name that can be named. In fact, Paul says that God has given to him the name that is above all names. And there's only one name that that can be, and that's the name of God Himself. That's God's name. That's the only name that could be said to be above all other names. It says in Matthew 28 and verse 19 that He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. It says in John chapter 3 and verse 35 that God has placed everything in His hands. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 that God has put all things under His feet. And it says in Revelation 3 verse 14 that He is the ruler of God's creation. You see, 
He is the Lord of hosts. That's who Jesus Christ is today. It says in 1 Peter 3.22 that all the angels are in submission to Him. This is incredible to think about. That the same Jesus that we read about in the Gospels has been exalted to this kind of place of, of preeminence. This kind of place of power, sovereign power over all creation. And you know that this is how Jesus is revealed to us in the book of Revelation. In the Gospels, when we read the Gospels, we find Jesus in the way that He was, in the form that He was, while He was lower than the angels, while He was here on the earth. We find Him in the form of a bondservant. We find Him in the likeness of sinful man. But when we look at the book of Revelation, we see Him revealed to us as He is now. Since He's been glorified again with God the Father and exalted to the very throne of God. When the Apostle John saw Jesus, and this is recorded in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, he says His face shone like the sun. He says His voice sounded like the rushing of many waters. It sounded like the Victoria Falls when the water is at its peak. And the Apostle John, the same Apostle, who saw Jesus and walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus while He was here on the earth, touched Him, slept in the same room with Him, ate with Him, walked along the roads with Him, even laid His head on His shoulder at one point. Do you know that the same man, when he saw Jesus as He is now, he says, I fell at His feet as though I was dead. What had happened? Jesus has been glorified. He has been exalted back to the same state that He had with God in the very beginning. And in Revelation chapter 5, we see that He is standing in the very center of the throne of God. That means God's rule and reign of all creation is centered around Jesus Christ. It says in Revelation 5 that He has all authority and that the fullness of the Spirit the sevenfold Spirit of God has been given to Him. It says there that He is worshipped and praised together with God in heaven. Can you, can you get the picture? There's God seated on the throne and Jesus is seated on His throne with Him. And not only is God being worshipped, but Jesus Christ is being worshipped. The Lamb who was slain is being worshipped together with the Father at the same time. He's being worshipped by the living creatures. These powerful creatures that were created just to declare the praise of God, to declare the holiness of God. In heaven, these living creatures bow down and worship even Jesus Christ. You see, there's no distinction between the Father and with Jesus Christ in heaven today. He is not only praised by the living creatures, but we see that He is praised and worshipped by the 24 elders and by all the angels, and not only so, by all of creation. That's who Jesus Christ is. This is the mystery of Jesus. That someone who came as a man and appeared to us as a man is in actual fact God. Actual fact equal with God. This is why... In the book of Revelation, we see Him referred to as the first and the last, the beginning 
and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Why is he given these titles? All of these titles in the Old Testament are titles that are attributed to Jehovah, God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel. And yet in the book of Revelation, Jesus is given and attributed those titles as well. The very titles of God Himself is given to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is God. He is one with God. He is equal with God. He has been exalted back to that place that He had with God in the very beginning. And do you know that this has profound ramifications for us as people? For all people, no matter where they live, no matter who they are, no matter whether they believe this gospel or whether they don't, it has profound ramifications for us all. What does it mean for us? It means this. It means that all people must honor Jesus Christ even as they honor God, even as they honor the Father. This is why Paul says here in verses 10 and 11 of the passage we read, in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven, those who are on earth, and even those who are under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, because of who Jesus is, every knee will bow before Him. When we talk about bowing the knee, and when Scripture uses that phrase, it is always referring to worship. It's always referring to reverence, to paying homage to somebody. It's always referring to submission and obedience to a higher power. Do you know that every human being has been commanded by God to bow their knee at the name of Jesus? to bow their knee before this one who walked the shores of Galilee 2,000 years ago. And not only to bow their knee before Him, but to acknowledge Him with their mouths as Lord, as their King, as their Master, as their Ruler, as the one to whom we all belong. Paul is so clear here in this passage that God wants all creation to worship, honor, and obey Jesus Christ. This was his very purpose in exalting Jesus. And you know, Paul says here that it's when people do this that God is glorified. You see, God is glorified when we honor Jesus Christ. And you know that when people do not do this, when we do not honor Christ, we are actually dishonoring God. We are acting in a way that stands opposed, directly opposed to His will and purpose for our lives. You see, we cannot honor God without honoring Jesus. And to fail to honor Jesus Christ is to fail to honor God. To dishonor Jesus is to dishonor God. And this is why the destruction or salvation of men depends solely on their attitude and response to Jesus Christ and to who He is. Those who believe in Him, in other words, they believe what the Bible tells us about Him. In other words, they have faith in Him and they bow their knees to Him and they confess with their mouths publicly 
who he is, they are the ones that will be saved. They are the ones that God will justify, that he will forgive, that he will accept, that he will adopt as his very own children. They are the ones who will be eternally blessed and honored by him. But those who will not bow their knee to Jesus, those who do not accept what scripture tells us about him and who he is, and they will not acknowledge him in their lives as Lord, as King, as Master, as Ruler. Do you know the scripture says they will be destroyed? This is why in Psalms chapter 2 and verse 10 to 12 it says this, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that He may not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Do you know, saints, that this is the message we have got to take to the world, that we've got to tell people? We've got to tell people who Jesus is. We've got to tell people about the glory of Christ. We've got to tell them the way that God requires of everyone, all people, to respond to Jesus Christ. Why? Because this is the message that saves. This is the message that brings people to faith in Christ. This is the message that brings people to live for Him and to be unashamedly obedient to Him. It's this message that the God of this world seeks to blind the eyes and the minds of men to. You see, Satan doesn't want people to know about the glory of Christ. And so Satan will fight this kind of message. He will fight the, the gospel of the glory of Christ. He will oppose it. He will try to silence it. But if we want people to be saved, this is the message they have got to hear. People have got to hear about who Jesus Christ really is. If we want people to be saved, we need to pray for them. We need to ask God to open their eyes so they can see who Jesus is. Because apart from that, unless someone understands and comes to the place where they know and see who Jesus Christ really is, they can never be saved. For us who are already believers, my prayer is that we might have the same kind of attitude that Jesus had. That we might be willing to lay down our lives to bring people to God. That we might follow in His footsteps and become servants of all. This is what Paul was telling us in this passage. He said, let the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus be also in you. How willing are we to stoop? How low are we willing to stoop? How much, how willing are we to give up all? Are we willing to humble ourselves in obedience to the will of God, even to the point of death? You see, this is the kind of attitude Jesus had, and this is the kind of attitude that God wants to be in us as well. Where we are not so high-minded that we will not stoop down to the very least of the least and help them. Where the strong, we who are strong, will 
lower ourselves to help the weak. You know that this is the very law of Christ. This is what God seeks in our lives, that we would be like Jesus, having the same kind of attitude as he had. And we would humble ourselves, that we would do it willingly. We would be willing to give up everything in order to see the will of God done on the earth. There may be someone today that's listening to this message who at one point you had bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, you had acknowledged Him, but you've lost the way that you were going. You've gone astray. The things of the world have come back into your life and they've entangled you. I'm praying for you as well. I'm praying that you would come back to Christ. You'd come back to the Lord Jesus. That you would leave and break free from that which has entangled you. That you would confess your sins to God and ask Him to forgive you and cleanse you. And that to, today you would make that choice to once again begin following the Lord Jesus Christ and living for Him. And that you would be set free from everything that has entangled you, the sin that has entangled you. And that you would become like Jesus, a follower of the will of God and a doer of the will of God. I'm praying for you today to do that. I'm praying that you would know that if you will confess your sins, God will forgive you and He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe you've never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ. You've heard about Him, but maybe you've never understood who He was. You just saw Him as this religious figure that lived some thousand years or so ago and you didn't really know anything about Him. And the reality of who He is has never struck your soul, never struck your heart, has never really dawned in your mind. But as you're listening to me today, you're beginning to see who Jesus Christ really is. The great and mighty Son of God, exalted to the right hand of God, the ruler of all creation. You're beginning to see Him in that way. My prayer for you today is that you would come to the place where you would turn to Him. You would turn to Him in repentance. You would forsake your sins and that you would become a follower of Jesus Christ. That you would bow your knee to Him and that you would acknowledge Him publicly as Lord over all and Lord over your life. And that you would live your life in obedience and submission to Him. I'm praying for you today to do that because if you will do that, God will forgive you for your sins. No matter how bad they have been, He will forgive you for your sins. He will receive you and accept you. And He will adopt you as His very own child into His family. He will make you a citizen of His kingdom. And He will give you eternal life forever and ever. You will live under the blessing and you will live under the very uh, favor of God. Isn't this wonderful that God would make this opportunity available to you, to us all? I pray that you would take it. I pray that you would turn away from your sin. There is no benefit. There is no lasting benefit to sin. Turn to Jesus Christ. Bow your knee before Him. Accept Him as Lord. And you will find the greatest 
greatest pleasure, the greatest glory, the greatest benefit will come to you through doing that. If you're wanting to do that and you need us to pray with you, you need us to help you, we would love for you to contact us at the church offices. And so in this video, down in the description below this video, you will find the church details, how you can contact us. And my prayer is that you will not hesitate to do so because we would love to hear from you and we would love to be able to pray with you and we would love to be able to help you. So please don't hesitate. Contact us. Look at those details in the description and get hold of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this message that you have given, that you have spoken through me. Lord, I pray today that you would take these words, that you would minister them to each and every one of our hearts, whether we already belong to you and are serving you, whether at one point we belong to you, but we have gone astray, or whether we have never given our lives to you and become one of your people. I pray for us, no matter what state we may be in today, that these words would minister to us and bring us all into the very fullness of your will and the very fullness of your blessing and the very fullness of everything that you have desired for us. I ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a great pleasure and a great joy to be able to share the Word of God with you today. And I pray that these words would remain with you in your hearts, that you would carry them in your hearts, that they would be so real to you, that the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done for us, because of love for us, would remain with you for the rest of your days. God bless you. May He keep you. May He make His face shine upon you. And may He give you peace. Amen.